To the final four is not on the schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everybody, it's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for a very special edition of the final four is not on the schedule. We're going to do this one on Twitter space. And so thank you so much for all of you joining us live to listen to our recording. And we're going to be talking about the Michigan State greats who actually were not highly rated recruits. Our hope is to have a few more of these in the future. Uh, it's just a different formatted way to engage with the fans, the listeners like yourself. So thanks so much for joining in. And if you're listening to this in the recording of the podcast, just be aware that the recording audio will be a little bit different than usual. And that's just because of the different format we're using. So it should be very easily understood. But anyway, that's what the difference is today. Please continue to stay engaged, and if you want to engage in things like the Twitter space, you can head on over to Twitter and follow us there at TFFINOTS68, or you can head over to thefinalfourisnotontheschedule.com, and there you can sign up for our email list, that way you're notified of things like this happening in the future. Also, I send you emails out every once in a while. I certainly won't spam you, so don't worry about that, but if we have contests or events, that way make sure you stay up to date and you can get an email every once in a while in your inbox. We'd also like to thank our supporters, namely Mudge Printing and the Brothers at Just Your Gutters, but also Keith Kramer, who donated via PayPal. If you want to support the show financially, we'd be greatly appreciated. That's what makes the show run. You can head on over to thefinalforceontheschedule.com slash support, or for those who are lazy, tffinots.com slash support. There you can give one-time gifts via PayPal or Venmo, or on a recurring basis through Patreon. And with all that out of the way, let's get on to the show. So when we look at the top 10, uh, we'll start with 10. But before we get into that, Rod, why don't you go into, I guess, the preface, you know, we're talking mainly Izzo era players for the most part as people who are ranked outside. In, in entirely. Yeah. So so kind of explain why and sort of your thoughts and the process and, you know, I guess Judd and other players. Sure. Sure. I, I think it, one difficulty you have if you go too far back is we don't have great Right. Yes. Rankings in the seventies and certainly before that was in its infancy. It's really, it's really the eighties when that starts to get any level of sophistication and, and truthfully really into the late nineties, believe it or not, before we're really in anything approximating what we have now, kind of the modern era. So that does create some difficulties when you're trying to do something like that. Rest assured, one of the real strengths Judd had was finding undervalued players who ended up being great. I mean, if you go down the list, I would say at least as many guys who were, you know, in the upper echelon of players Judd had would fit that category as opposed to the guys who were highly regarded. Um, Greg Kelser, who was just before Judd, Gus Ganakis actually signed him and he played his freshman year for Gus. Greg Kelser was not a heavily recruited player, so he would have probably fit this kind of... And I guess it also should be said, what I'm using as the criteria, as the cutoff, is anybody ranked below number 80 on a consensus basis. There's this this thing called the um, 
RSCI, which stands for Recruiting Service Consensus Index. And what it does is it takes a number of the high-profile ranking services and comes up with a consensus number for each player. Mm -hmm. So the guys we're going to talk about are ranked 80 and below. And and that's somewhat arbitrary, but, but there is something to it from my perspective in that if you're ranked in the 80s or you're ranked, say, 120, 130, I haven't done a study on this, but my perception is you probably have about the same chance of becoming a major impact player. Uh, yeah. Whereas if you're ranked above the 80s, the odds are better in, in my sure. view. So that's why I'm using that number. But, uh, but again, going back to the Judd thing. So Greg Kelser, not a heavily recruited guy. Uh, Scott Skiles, definitely not a heavily recruited guy. Michigan State, believe this shows you how long ago it was. He didn't even have a Michigan State offer until after he won the state championship as a senior <laughs> in high school. That's where Judd recruited. That's where he saw him and decided to offer him, was playing in the in the state tournament in Indiana. Um, Sean Resper, not a super heavily recruited guy. Uh, Steve Smith, not a heavily recruited guy. Um, now there were some who were obviously Irvin Johnson was Jay Vincent was a heavily recruited player. So was his brother, Sam. Um, the guy, some of the guys he got later in his tenure, like Matt Steginga, Mike Peplowski, those guys were elite recruits, but you can see, I mean, I've just listed off Scott Skiles, Steve Smith, Sean Respert. Those are three and Greg Kelser. Those are four of, I think, anybody's top 10. Those are some jerseys hanging for the banners. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. All four of those guys. So that's it. This this is just a preface. Say this is not to say that there weren't guys who fit this category before Tom Izzo, but it's just harder to discuss them because we don't have as much in the way of criteria that we can use to demonstrate, yeah, they were under-recruited, underrated guys relative to what they became. We, we know that. I know that because I was around at the time. So <laughs> I'm confident in saying that. But it's also easier to, to restrict it to the Izzo era because we're really talking about the last, you know, whatever it is, 27 years yeah, now, right. um, 28. Uh, that's a nice kind of cutoff point for this discussion as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, you know, I guess the, the way, so that like today you'd say you're 24 seven on three rivals, uh, ESPN, those are sort of the recruiting servers that get conglomerated and they sort of come out with an average number, right? It's like mixing exactly, polls together for exactly. you know, those, pundits. Those would be your big four. And for in earlier iterations, if you go back into the early aughts, you know, there are different, there are different services that are used. It might've been like there might have been points. I'd have to yeah. go back and look. There might have been points that people like Bob Gibbons or Clark Francis, who were kind of two early pioneers in this stuff, they might have been used. We didn't necessarily have all three of the current, you know, rivals twenty four seven on three for all of those years. But yeah, I think you've got the the list as it currently yeah. exists. Okay, are those four services? Well, let's start on our list, and we'll begin with the number ten with our. I guess a subjective objective uh, list and start with Derek Nix, who is a, was a guy who came in and struggled quite a bit. I, I say that maybe it's not a fair thing to say, but you know, he was out of shape and he was definitely did not look ready to play. 
uh, in the Big Ten his freshman year, more even more so than some players, well, uh, at least physically. But then uh, came on, especially once he was it's junior and senior seasons. Remember that, strangely, Michigan State did start him quite a bit as well, a freshman. Yeah, I agree. Now he wasn't a he wasn't a true starter in the sense that he didn't get starters minutes, but he was in the rotation for a Final Four team as a mm-hmm. freshman, and he actually was starting games just because that's the way Izzo liked his rotation to work. But um, there's no question you're, you're ge- the general thrust of what you're saying is correct. Derek came in at well in excess of 300 pounds. I mean, it varies. I, I saw varies uh, depending upon who you talk to. It was at 330, <laughs> 350. It was way too much. I, I saw a lot of Derek Nix in high school because I saw a lot of his Pershing high school team, uh, in part to see him, but mostly to see Keith Appling. Mm-hmm. And so I saw a lot of Derek Nix in high school. And I know there were a lot of detractors at the time. Believe me, I remember. I, I have the receipts <laughs> in my mind. I could list some people who were detractors. But uh, anyway, I always felt watching him in high school, I could understand why Izzo wanted him. And it was it was two reasons. And that eventually became apparent at Michigan State. One was he had a great sense of how to use his body to create space to allow him to finish in the low post. And that maintained even when Derek got slim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he never got slim, <laughs> but he got considerably, he was carrying considerably less weight. And he was a really good finisher in high school around the basket. He was a really good finisher at Michigan State. He had great footwork and uh, a nice touch around the rim. He was never an explosive guy. He wasn't going to have those rim rattling dunks, but he was a good low post player. The second reason was, and, and I think this was true of his tenure at Michigan state. He is, in my opinion, the best passing big man, certainly the best passing big man out of double teams that Tom Izzo's ever had. He was a good enough post threat, especially as his career went on to demand double teams. And then boy, he had an ability to find people and deliver the ball on time and in a, in a shooting spot um, that, that really helped make his teammates better. And when I say best passing big man, I'm talking about fives. I'm not talking about great. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, but among five men, he was the best. And so that's, that's what I, I, that's why, I mean, the bottom line is he was a key player on two big 10 championship teams and those elements of his game, I think qualify him for this. Right. List. And he was just to be clear, I don't think I mentioned, but he was rated 88th uh, in the RSCI. So yes, uh, we'll move on yep. to number nine, uh, Matt Costello, who was rated 86th in the RSCI, and he averaged 10.7 points a game and 8.2 rebounds a game as a senior. Definitely came on as a senior. That was his real year where he is real coming out party. I feel like uh, maybe in the end of his junior year, where. And this is, I think, typical for yes. big men in Izzo or probably any place where they just sort of kind of, as you mentioned many times, the light goes on and they sort of kind of figure things out. Maybe the game slows down. Yeah, uh, I, I will say this. I felt, and I understood it because Michigan State had, you know, his first two years, they had Adrian Payne, they had Derek Nix. So they had other guys in front of him who were more experienced and who were certainly very talented in their own right. But. I did feel that early in his career, I didn't think Matt 
was getting the opportunity that I thought he might have been capable of running with. That was my own personal feeling. You yeah. know, Tom, Tom Izzo obviously knows a lot better, <laughs> but I think he showed flashes as a freshman and sophomore that suggested that that might have been true. There's no question, though, toward the end of his junior year, that team that went to a Final Four, and then definitely his senior year with what was a great team in the regular season, things really came together for Matt Costello. I, I think what separated him from a lot of guys is, and maybe you couldn't tell necessarily just by looking at him, but Matt Costello was a pretty damn good athlete for yeah. a big man. Matt Costello was a great rim runner. He became an outstanding pick and roll defender. I mean, really, really good. His footwork and his understanding of Michigan State system both were at a very high level. His lateral, his lateral movement was at a high level. Um, I think the, the one thing that never got fully utilized there was his shooting. You finally saw him start to take and make some mid-range shots as a senior. I saw Matt Costello hit threes in high school yeah. at Bay City Western. <laughs> so I know he had it in him. But it's a very common thing at Michigan State that big men seem to be, with very few exceptions, Jaron Jackson would be an exception. There may be a handful of others. Most of them seem to come in with a red light screaming <laughs> early in their yeah. careers, and then gradually they earn the right to take those shots. Um, Matt fell into that category, but I always wondered about that. I don't know why he didn't have more of a green light early on, but regardless. And, and later in his career, I think you quoted the, the stats of senior season. I mean, you know, not that far away from being a double-double guy, 10.7 points, 8.2 rebounds. He shot almost 58% from the floor over his career, which shows you two things. One, he had a good ability to finish, and two, he had a very good sense of who he was and of shot selection. You don't shoot that percentage if you don't understand those things about yourself and your game. So, yeah, I think he firmly fits in this category and deserves to be on any list of uh, underrated guys who really made good in their careers at MSU. Under yeah, he certainly struck me as a guy who was really good, especially in transition, uh, especially his senior year. He was really um, pretty yep. lethal. That's where his athleticism right, really exactly. came into play. Yeah. Yeah, I, I will always remember, and I think as I say this, people may flash on it. Michigan State was just beating the brakes off Michigan at Chrysler. And there was a transition play. I can't remember whether it was a putback off a missed shot or just him finishing it, but it was a play in transition one way or the other that Matt dunked and the camera on the baseline was right there. And he put his face right yeah. in the camera, stuck his <laughs> tongue out and then ran down the floor. There was something about him. He was also the guy, if you remember that they had gone through a little bit of a slump and then they busted out those lime green jerseys that are very divisive. <laughs> And beat Maryland, who was very good that year, beat beat the hell out of them at uh, at Breslin to kind of get back on track. And that was the game Matt kind of rustled Izzo's hair yeah. and uh, coming off the floor when he was taken out of the game. So he was he was a guy who had an infectious kind of personality too, which is why I thought he was really easy yeah. to root for. 
There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you drive the most dependable mass market brand, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the number one most dependable mass market brand three years in a row by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among mass market brands in the J.D. Power 2021 to 2023 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Studies. 2023 study based on 2020 models. See jdpower.com awards for 2023 details. All right, so we'll move on to number eight, uh, Chris Hill, which uh, it's surprising. He was outside the top 100, and he, of course, became, was an integral part of that te- team for many years. Four-year starter, base route. I guess he wasn't a starter as a senior, but uh, <laughs> three-year and change starter, let's say that. Uh, yeah, he was – Chris Hill was brought to Michigan State at a time where Tom Izzo's recruiting, at least from a class ranking standpoint, was arguably never better. He was part of the class of 2001. So he was in a class with Kelvin Torbert, who was a top five guy nationally, and Alan Anderson, who was a top 40 guy. And then, of course, the next year they added Paul Davis and Arazam Lorbeck and Maurice Ager. Uh, and then the year after that was Shannon Brown and Brandon Cotton. So really a, a high point, in a sense, of Tom Izzo's recruiting, at least from a ranking standpoint. Chris Hill was sort of an afterthought because he was a guy who was outside of the top 100. If I remember correctly, his decision came down to Michigan State, Notre Dame. He was from Indianapolis, um, not a heavily recruited guy, but as you say, he was a big contributor for his entire MSU career, all four years. And you look at the statistics, the career numbers are really, really good. 11.9 points per game and 3.5 assists per game over his four years. Those are really, really good career numbers. And and you can make a case that there aren't a lot of guys in the Izzo era who were more consistent contributors over their four years, at least from a scoring standpoint, right? Yeah. Guys, some of the guys we're going to talk about higher on this list are higher primarily because they had much higher peaks than someone like Chris did. But Chris was a very solid guy all four years in terms of his contributions. Most fans remember him as a three-point shooter, and your memories are correct. He was very, very good. 41.6% over his four-year career. And, of course, he played in a Final Four as a senior, so he did have a a team high watermark while he was there as well. So I definitely think a worthy inclusion on this list for sure. 
Yeah, and to uh, the next player, number seven is Travis Trice, who is also outside the top hundred, and a player who was you know snake bit for so many years, just injuries yeah. and 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 many times, although they would not sometimes be during the year. I feel like they affect him in the off season and the inability to sort of get going when the when the year began, and so he just. He seemed like a guy who just never get on track, and then boy, that se- the end of the senior year. I mean, he just kind of went unconscious, and then <laughs> and he propelled them in that that NCAA tournament run. Well, that that's exactly right. I think the problem, the biggest problem for Trab, was he could never stay healthy over off seasons. So he up until his last off season, so between his junior and senior year, he was never healthy any of that time. So his ability to really work on his body and also help improve certain elements of his game were really difficult to come by because he just wasn't healthy during the summers. And, you know, again, he played with a lot of very good players, right? So he backed up Keith Appling for a good period of time, I guess his first three years uh, at the point guard off ball there weren't a ton of opportunities because there were guys like Gary Harris, Brandon Wood. There were a lot of guys ahead of him in that role as well. So even if he had been able to stay healthy earlier, he might not have played a ton more than he did. But I think the biggest thing that changed for him as a senior was he got healthy, he got stronger, and all of a sudden he was actually able to finish through contact and finish at the rim in a way that he had been his first three years. He could always shoot from range. There was never a doubt about that. But I think that's what really took him to another level as a player is all of a sudden he was a legitimate three-level scorer outside from, you know, beyond three, mid-range, and then at the rim. The the at-the-rim part had been a problem earlier on. So you look at his numbers. We I just mentioned a second ago guys who had big peaks – toward the end of their careers well he's an example of that 15.3 points per game and 5.1 assists per game as a senior which was his only season as a starter of course he got msu to the final four you mentioned had a huge tournament run taking them leading them to the final four he averaged 19 points per game over the five ncaa tournament games msu played that year so you know if your memory is travis was really something during that tournament run your, your memory is correct he was uh historically over his four-year career 39.5 percent three-point shooter so he was always effective from outside that never changed but again i think what what really helped him in the end was he got better finishing closer to the rim that took him up another level as a scorer and just made him a much more impactful player overall yeah and i i feel like that last summer so the summer between his junior and senior year was the first summer he was healthy it was. And so it that was, was and what a big difference, you know, going into that last year for him. So for sure. Yeah. All right. Moving to number six is Travis Walton. He was also outside the top 100. Uh, you know, I think not a great offensive player, but a fantastic defensive player and, um, and, a, and had those intangible leadership qualities, you know, ones you don't have, you can't have stats for, but he definitely was that part for the team. There, there's no question. It was surprising to me when I looked at this list, I thought Travis might have been inside the top 80 but it turns out he wasn't anywhere in the top 100 some fans may remember michigan state had a choice to make in that recruiting class 
um, that spot came down to Travis Walton and a guy named Dominic James, who was, I believe, in the top 40 in that class. He ended up at Marquette. And reportedly, the word was Dominic James wanted to come to MSU, but MSU was only going to take one of the two. And they opted for Travis Walton because Izzo really liked his intangibles. Dominic James was a very good offensive player at Marquette. And early in his career, there was a lot of static from MSU fans about why they opted to make the choice they made. But toward the end of his career, I think Izzo was, as he usually is, borne out to be correct in his assessment. Because, as you say, there were these things, these elements to Travis Walton's game that you can't really measure, which is leadership. The ability to inspire teammates or drag them with you, be a rock that they, everybody can rely on in tough moments. And, you know, his senior year at Michigan State wins a Big Ten title, goes to a Final Four. Now, that wasn't all because of Travis Walton, but I, I'm definitely saying he was a huge part of it. This is a guy who was a three-time All-Big Ten defense choice, and he was Defensive Player of the Year in the conference in 2009, which was also the same year he captained a Final Four and Big Ten championship team. Um, you know, all you need to know about Travis, too, and how he's regarded by teammates is that he has been Draymond Green's trainer basically since Draymond was a pro. Um, they were teammates just that one year. Draymond was a freshman. Travis was a senior. But obviously, a player as great as, as Green um, views what Travis Walton can do for his game as vitally important. So that's a pretty it's a hell of an endorsement where I'm sitting. But I, I still think when you talk about Michigan State perimeter defenders, any conversation you're having, the top two guys, and you can argue about the order, would be Charlie Bell and Travis Walton. He's that good, was that good at that end of the court. And he was also a decent secondary lead guard as well. You know, he played with, he started alongside Drew Neitzel and then uh, Kalen Lucas. But it was a big help to have somebody like Travis who could take a little bit of the pressure off those guys from time to time. You know, so he, he contributed. And let's also not forget offensively, as you said, he didn't have huge numbers, wasn't a great jump shooter, but I think a lot of Spartan fans remember that great performance in a second-round victory over USC. I think he had 16 points in that game, and that was a tight game. They needed every one of those, and USC just simply dared him to shoot, and he took the shots and he hit them. So he delivered in a big moment offensively. Yeah, I, th I feel like Travis Walden is sort of the player people hoped Tum Tum was going to become. Like, I think Tum Tum just For, never quite became enough, you know, enough well, like with Travis. here's the difference. The, the difference, I think Tum was actually a very good defensive player. And by the way, I'll, I'll give you um, I'll give you a, um, a uh, spoiler. Tum's not on this list. But the reason, <laughs> the reason he's not on this list is not because I wouldn't have put him here. It's that he was ranked just inside the top 80. Right, yeah. So he wasn't qualified. But the, the difference between them, I actually think Tum was maybe a little better point guard than Travis. The difference was, though, Tum was a very good defender, but he was only, what, 5'9", 5'10"? Yeah, right. yeah. Travis Walton was 6'3", and if you remember, MSU would switch him to the point that he could guard one through four. He guarded power forwards frequently, um, you know, in switches or out of necessity, and was very effective doing it. 
Tom, just because of his lack of size, I don't think ever had that kind of defensive versatility um, in his in his toolkit just because he wasn't big enough to. Travis was. Yeah. Uh, before we go down the list, we're just going to take a quick break to thank one of our sponsors of the show, the Brothers at Just Do Gutters. Uh, they've done my gutter work and it actually rained finally. And so we had a massive thunderstorm yesterday. I'm not sure what it was like on your side of the state. Um, but uh, yeah. You're, you're talking to a guy who's spent, I won't go into why, but business that I conduct, I have spent between yesterday and today, nine hours on the phone with airlines trying to, <laughs> trying to uh, handle canceled flights. So I am well aware of what's been going on in the weather, believe me. <laughs> yeah, and today is even stranger that we're recording this on the 27th of June. This episode will probably come out in July, but uh, the crazy weather patterns. I mean, I, I walked outside from the OR today at noon. Well, I went in this morning. It, was, it didn't seem very unusual because I get in pretty early. But when I came out at noon, it would smell like a campfire. I couldn't believe the smoke yeah, at this side that, of the state. It's crazy. Yep, that's, that's adding to it as well. Yeah, well, anyway, so if... Weather does weird stuff. In Michigan, we have lots of leaves, lots of stuff. I had a storm, all kinds of things blowing around. So <clears throat> it was great having, you know, fantastic gutters. I highly recommend Brothers Just Do Gutters. They will take care of you. Kurt on the west side of the state, uh, Kurt Stauffer and his team at brothersgutters.com. You can just go to the, um, uh, either under the podcast player or you can certainly go on the YouTube video. Uh, you can also uh, get a hold of uh, Greg and his team in the southeast side of the state if you have any gutter work, cleaning, repair, replacement they are uh, top-notch and they'll get things done quickly and really in any weather uh, they were out and taking care of my stuff in february which was really pretty amazing um so let's go further uh down to the the top five then we'll start at number five bryn forbes which is i think having more one of the more obvious ones i think just because of his success in uh as a pro but he was also outside the top 100 i mean he wasn't even recruited well he wasn't uh didn't start his career at michigan state he started at cleveland state and then was able to transfer back uh, because of uh, family issues. And so he did his first two, for those who I I would imagine most brothers remember, but just to recap. So Bryn Forbes was part of a great trio at Lansing Sexton. He was a high school teammate of Denzel Valentine's and Anthony Clemens, who played at the University of Iowa. Uh, He was not recruited the same way the other two guys were. And I'll tell you something. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but at the time, I, I clearly thought Denzel was the best of the three. There was not much doubt about that in my mind. But at the time, I'm pretty sure I remember writing about this wherever I was writing at the time, that I didn't understand why Anthony Clemens was being recruited at a higher level than Bryn Forbes. I, I mean, I did in the sense that he was a little bigger, maybe a little more athletic, so I could see how he would be easier to project defensively. But to me, Bryn Forbes, even in high school, had that shooting ability that just seemed to be such an equalizer. But coaches didn't see it that way. As you mentioned, he started at the horizon level, um, playing for Cleveland State for two years, and then fortunately for Michigan State, wanted to come home, transferred to MSU. Um, you know, forget the rankings. He wasn't even recruited at a at a high major level coming out of high school. So he definitely fits the criteria for what we're talking about. He played two years at MSU. His first year was the final four season where he was coming off the bench and he didn't quite average double figures, but he was a, he was a good offensive player on that team struggled at the defensive end. So that's why his role was a little more limited. Uh, 
but as a senior, he really blossomed. He started to get it defensively, and that improvement on the defensive end and improvement in his body is what enabled him to get a shot at the NBA level and to maintain a, a pretty solid NBA career for himself. Uh, but that senior year, he really exploded. He averaged 14.4 points per game and shot 47.6% from three over his two seasons at MSU. His senior year was even a little better than that. Um, so one of the best pure shooters in MSU history. I would I would put Bryn Forbes up there. I think he belongs in the Sean Respert, Scott Skiles category as the best pure shooters I've seen at Michigan State. Now, I don't go back far enough to have seen Ralph Simpson or Mike Robinson, Terry Furlow, uh, people who are older than me would i think put those guys in that conversation as well but for me Bryn forbes is right there with those other two guys as just a pure great jump shooter probably cassius winston belongs in that discussion as well but but Bryn's shot release is prettier than cassius's was uh the results were similar but um definitely a guy who belongs on this list and and i think belongs where i have him in the top five yeah, and I think you know his trajectory as far as a Spartan. It reminds me a lot of. Hello. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say. Um, Eric. Yeah, I I actually hit mute. Sorry, technology problems. Right. So I was gonna say what I was saying is that his uh, his trajectory in the as a Spartan very much reminds me of Tyson Walker. Right. Like I think you know where the first year they sort of are kind of figuring things out and then they kind of get it and then they are a different player the next year. Obviously, different shooters. I mean. Bryn was, uh, you know, unbelievable shooter, better than than Tyson Walker. Uh, but either way, I mean, I think that sort of they, they got the defense and they got sort of got more comfortable, at least with the team and sort of how it worked. And so it's kind of been fun watching. And they both came outside, you know, Michigan State system. So it took them a year to figure I, it out. I do. When you mentioned Tyson, I do want to I do want to mention this. Um, Tyson Walker would be somewhere on this list for sure, because he would qualify in the same way Bryn did lightly recruited player out of high school who's become you know he'll be considered one of the best players in college basketball next year certainly one of the best uh, the best shooting guards uh, but i don't have him here only because his career hasn't completed so if we were to do this again next year i'd put him here but that's why you're not hearing tyson walker's name just as as an aside uh, and i agree with your comparison there are some similarities the big difference is that because of COVID, Michigan State's going to get a third season from Tyson Walker right. that they didn't get out of Bryn Forbes. So it'll be interesting to see what that third season in the system looks like. So move down the list to number four, and number four is X-Man, Xavier Tillman. He was ranked just outside the top 80 at number 83. And, of course, I you know recent player, so everyone's very familiar with this game, still playing the NBA. He averaged 13.7 points a game, 10.3 rebounds a game in his final season as a junior. And he was like, he was one of those guys you've talked about many times where you didn't see a role for him as a freshman or sophomore. You thought maybe get redshirted. And the next thing you know, he's playing his first year. Yeah. He, he's really a great story because, you know, I liked him in high school. I was glad, you know, there were some people that were down on X because he wasn't highly ranked. And I don't know why, I guess they thought because he wasn't a, a spectacular athlete, um, he wasn't you know, in good shape. A super, a super explosive athlete. He wasn't in totally great shape. Uh, he wasn't a three-point shooter. 
coming into college that, that it seemed to me that there were elements of the fan base that were not excited about him. I thought he would be a good player, but I have to be honest, I didn't see it happening as fast, and I didn't see it quite the way it unfolded. He is a great example of why you really have to be careful with big men, particularly on the defensive end. Because I, just speaking for myself, I find it very difficult to project what a big man will be defensively in college, at least initially, because they're they're so they're so rarely asked to do in high school or in AAU what they're going to be asked to do in college or certainly in a program like Michigan State. You know, they're they're just not they're not expected to play pick and roll defense, for example, the way that they have to in college. Um, they certainly don't. Most of them are not in gap defense systems the way Michigan State plays. And so they don't have that kind of mental element down yet. So you can't necessarily know watching them in high school how well they're going to pick it up. Xavier Tillman, the primary reason he did what you just mentioned, Eric, where he forced his way into the rotation where I didn't think he would as a freshman, the primary reason that happened is because he grasped MSU's defensive asks the responsibilities he would have extremely well and did it extremely quickly and you can't really predict that I don't think you can predict that well maybe Tom Izzo thought that was going to happen but I sure didn't and then you watched where his career went from there over the next two years and he just exploded and he got better in other aspects of the game too I think he's arguably He's definitely among the top two screeners in MSU history. I'd put him in the same conversation with the same guy he's in with for the honor of best defending big man of the Izzo era, and that's Antonio Smith. I think they are the two best big men in terms of the totality of what they were able to do in the Tom Izzo era. Um, Neither one a particularly gifted offensive player is a shooter. But it goes to show you that that's not the be-all and end-all of the game, right? Uh, X was a double-digit rebounder his last season at MSU. Here's the other thing you can give him some credit for. It's not all down to him, but he was a big part of it. Xavier Tillman is one of three guys. He's joined by Charlie Bell and Andre Hudson, um, who share this honor of never playing a season at Michigan State where they didn't win a Big Ten title. Now, Andre Hudson and Charlie Bell won four of them. X only won three because he only played three years. He left after his junior year. But that, to me, is a hell of an endorsement. Yeah. And he's obviously instrumental the second and third year playing, you know, compared to the... So, he was critical. He's critical to those years. Uh, So, Previously mentioned player number three, Denzel Valentine. He was ranked number 88th. Uh, was obviously in that same class with Bryn Forbes and um, and uh, Matt Costello. Yeah, I mean Matt. Yeah, but boy, I tell you that just aside from that last year, I mean he was fantastic. But of course, you know how the year ended was always it's a bitter pill to swallow as a Michigan State fan. But what a great career and. And, and I felt like even seeing him as a freshman, I, I saw the potential watching him make the passes, uh, although some would go into the seats. You're like, well, he's got a lot. Of, 
he's got a lot of great vision and stuff, and he yeah. might be pretty special. I thought, having seen him a lot in high school at AAU, I thought he would be a good player at MSU. I didn't predict that he would be as great as he was. His last two years, obviously his senior year in particular, but he was really good as a junior too. He was a big part of that run to the Final Four. And that that Michigan State team, by the end of the regular season, they were outstanding. I mean, that was no fluke that that team managed to get to a Final Four because you remember they got to the Big Ten Tournament Final and were in absolute war with a great Wisconsin team. As good a team as there's been in the Big Ten over the last 10 years, I believe. That Wisconsin team, that 15 season. And MSU pushed them to the brink and should have won the game, but for a bad out-of-bounds call. Um, If people remember how that one went. But Denzel was a huge part of that. His season numbers and his career numbers are outstanding. So he was a national player of the year in some quarters. It was either first or second with he and Buddy Heald that year. Um, as a senior, he averaged 19.2 points, 7.5 rebounds, and 7.8 assists per game. Th- there's only one other guy. Well, I guess, that yeah, there's only one other guy because Steve Smith was a good assist man, but he never had assist seasons like that. Mm-hmm. The only other guy in MSU history who's put up a stat line like that is Irvin Johnson. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the realm that Denzel was operating in his senior year. He shot 44% from three that season, which was kind of a weakness when he first got to MSU. He ended up 40.8% from three over his career. I think if, if you told that to anybody, especially Tom Izzo, the first day of Denzel's freshman season, he would have taken that number and run <laughs> because he was not that good a shooter initially. He worked at it. That's the point I'm trying to make. Um, and, of course, reached a Final Four, as we mentioned, as a junior. So one of the all-time great MSU players. I think he probably slots in somewhere in the top ten all-time, in my opinion. I I constantly revise the, the stuff over time. But I think Denzel probably gets into that category, largely on the back of that senior year. Yeah, and what a great start to that year too. The Champions Classic to, to throw yeah. down a triple double, right? Started, that was what it just set a tone for the year. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so then we're getting near the bottom of the list. So number two, well, this, this oh. is where it gets controversial. I will, I will say that as a preface before you, <laughs> you list. So we've got number two and number one left, and it was a tight call for me on this one, but I'll, I'll try to justify it. And, uh, and this is what will be a great discussion afterwards if you guys want to join in on the discussion too. So so number two, Draymond Green, ranked uh, number 95 in, uh, in the rankings. Obviously, three to Big Ten championships, two Final Four teams, uh, National Player of the Year as a senior. And I, it's, I, unless something weird happens, I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer as a pro. Yeah, and he's also the all-time leading rebounder at MSU, eclipsing Gregory Kelser in that category. Uh, look, I mean, we all know what kind of career he had at Michigan State. We we talked about Xavier Tillman. Draymond Green was in a very similar situation. He came in as a freshman on a loaded roster. There was just a ton of veteran guys that it just didn't look possible to me, and I don't think to many people, that he would play much as a freshman. I mean, if you remember, 
the guy that everybody was excited about in the freshman class that 08 09 season was not Draymond. It was Delvon Rowe, mm-hmm. who was a McDonald's All American and a top 20 guy nationally. Unfortunately, was never right physically because of knee trouble. Um, but he was a starter as a freshman on that team that won the Big Ten and went to the national title game. Draymond, though, toward the end of that regular season, forced his way into the rotation. And he made big contributions in the regular season and especially in the NCAA tournament. And it just blossomed from there. You know, he was he was a sixth man as um, as a sophomore. And I can't recall whether it was that year or his junior year. I think it was his sophomore year. He was Big Ten sixth man of the year. So Probably. You just, you just saw, well, one of those two years. Because he was, he was st- wasn't he sure. starting his junior year? I don't I think, think he could he be a sixth man. I think yeah. he was. I think he was. So you just saw the gradual progression. Every year, he got in a little better shape. Every year, you saw him adding things to his game. By the time he was a senior, he was as good an all-around player as there was in the country. He could do everything. He was an effective low-post scorer. He was at least a decent jump shooter by that point. He was an outstanding passer. I would still say he's one of the probably one of the five most gifted passers I've seen at MSU. And he's the only one that you could not at least make an argument was a point guard. Um, He was, he was really a power forward, but boy, they played through him a ton, especially later in his career. And, you know, the team accomplishments while he was at MSU are obvious. They won three big 10 titles. They, they reached two final fours, a national title game. And one of the two years they, uh, or sorry, the, the, um, yeah, one of the two years they didn't go to a Final Four, they had a one seed his senior year and then unfortunately lost in the Sweet 16 to Louisville. But just an outstanding career. He got better every year, worked on his body, worked on his game. And, you know, as, as you mentioned, you're talking about a guy who went to the pros and continued to do those things. And that's not part of my evaluation here, but it, I'm, I'm restricting it to what they did at MSU. But uh, it's worth mentioning he's on a Hall of Fame trajectory, and it seems obvious he will get there when he's done. Uh, but what a remarkable story, the way he's developed. Yeah, and one certainly that really no one – well, and I think, you know, Robbie Hummel put it best. He just like – he just kept – he's flabbergasted that it all happened, that it's right. transpired the way it has. He's like, he never he would have expected it. He wasn't a guy that Purdue <laughs> was worried about on the scouting report early in his career. But, boy, he was by the end. <laughs> right yeah yeah even though he would I, it's funny it's almost like he blacked it out if you guys re- go back to that humble episode he's, he couldn't remember for sure if it was uh Draymond who shut him down but he just remembered he had a really frustrating night um so then let's go to number one Morris Peterson Mo Pete uh wasn't ranked in his class and wasn't really heavily recruited and of course well I mean I'll let you kind of go into it but I mean yeah. Certainly, no one it, no one expected him to become what he did, and which is funny because watching him play, he was so good. It's hard to imagine that people missed on him. Well, we can we can talk about that. So there were no RSCI rankings for his class. He was in the class of 1996, um, but I can tell you from memory, he was a what was called a late riser. So he was part of a class in the state of Michigan that was absolutely loaded if you looked at um, 
how guys were evaluated nationally. There was a point in time when those guys were sophomores where I believe, I think I've got this right, four of the top ten guys nationally were in the state of Michigan. It was Robert Trailer, Albert White, Jason Klein was ranked extremely highly early in his career, and um, and then Terrence Roberson, who ended up at Fresno State. I'm not even mentioning Antonio Smith, who was merely like a top 40, top 50 guy. <laughs> um, so all those guys were more highly regarded than Morris Peterson. So he wasn't even considered a top five guy in his own state, never mind how he was viewed nationally. And again, I'm working from memory, but if memory serves, I think his other big offer was Minnesota. Um, who used to in that time period used to work a lot in Michigan. They they would work and they had signed some guys over the years from Flint and from Detroit. So it stands to reason. But he wasn't. The point is he didn't have just tons of major offers that he was considering. And and Michigan State really kind of got dialed into him when it became apparent that they weren't going to get somebody like Albert White who ended up at Michigan. Um, so he wasn't even Michigan State's primary focus immediately in that class. But they added him. And I know what you mean when you say, boy, it's hard to believe that he wasn't seen as a, as a major player. But you have to remember, there's two ends to the court. And he really struggled defensively. He was the guy about whom Tom Izzo said, and I'm paraphrasing, but I think I've got this right. He said, Izzo said he was driving around campus trying to find somebody Morris could guard. <laughs> and that was that was the case. Now, Morris Peterson spent uh, his freshman year, he redshirted. So he wasn't even good enough to help a team that could only get to the NIT. So that's how they viewed him. And then his, his uh, redshirt freshman year, he did not, you know, the first year he actually played, he, again, didn't play a very big role for a team that was only good enough to get to the NIT. So heading into his third year in the program, which was his sophomore year of eligibility, there was a real question as to whether this guy was even going to last at Michigan State. I, I was reading today when I was doing a little bit of research for this episode that Morris Peterson, when he, uh, I believe it was, when he was contacted, when it was announced that he was going to have his, his uh, jersey number retired at Breslin, he told a story about Tom Crane picking him up one day, his sophomore year, and driving him around campus and showing him the library and the IM. And then they got back to Breslin, and he asked Crane why he did that. Crane said, well, this might be the last time you ever see this place <laughs> if you don't change the trajectory yeah. you're on. And, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, maybe not all of them, will remember what really turned it around for Morris Peterson, ironically, was an injury. Because he hurt his right, I can't remember, was he forearm or the wrist? I think it was his wrist, yeah. But he had to wear a cast. Yep. So he couldn't use his offhand. And that meant he could still play because his shooting hand was okay. But it really limited, you know, if, if you're still, if you're one-handed, even if you can shoot, you're still going to be kind of limited offensively, right? But it opened an opportunity because he finally saw 
that the way he could earn a role and consistent minutes was on defense. And he started focusing on playing defense, completely turned his career around. Then when the cast came off, the offense, which had always been there, he had always been a gifted offensive player. As I'm sure our listeners know, he was a very good shooter. He was not the upper, upper tier of athletes MSU's had, but a very good one. And he had a great, um, he had a great sense of connection with Mateen Cleaves. So they were easily, I think, the best uh, alley-oop, yeah. high-feed, lob combination MSU's had since Magic Johnson and Greg Kelser. They would be the second best, in, in my opinion. Um, he always had all those gifts, but he had to figure out how to play defensively. He had to figure out how to rebound, to do the things that Michigan State demands of you. And once he did, his career just took off. He was a big part of that team his sophomore year as the year went on. Sixth, or his junior year, I believe he was the first guy in Big Ten history to end up a first-team All-Big Ten choice when he was the sixth man. Yeah, right. So he wasn't starting, and the reasons for that were just chemistry. Jason Klein started, but clearly Morris Peterson was the second-best player on that team behind Mateen Cleaves. And then his senior year, of course, he was an All-American, won a national championship. He and Cleaves were, you know, the bell cows on Michigan State's second national title team. And, and that national title is why I, it's a small thing, but it's why I gave him the slightest advantages over Draymond Green for the number one spot. And reasonable minds can differ on this. If somebody wanted to make the case that it should be Draymond in the number one spot, um, I wouldn't necessarily argue with it, but that was my my dividing line, small as it is. But uh, just an, an absolutely great career to go from outside the top 100 and a guy who seemed to be looking on his way out of the program after a couple of years in it to winning a national title and having his, his uh, jersey number in the air at Breslin. Pretty remarkable story. Yeah, it's interesting, too. We talked a number of times about the fact that once you pick up the defensive end, your offensive game improves as well. I think part of that's a reflection that you just have allowed more minutes on the floor with Izzo, you know, if you're playing defense yeah. and rebounding and stuff. But I think, well, you know, if, if you're playing good defense and you're playing with intensity there, it definitely translates into the other end of the court, too, and makes you uh, – much more uh, dangerous. Uh, so, yeah, so that's the list. Yeah, so um, uh, before we get open it up, so if you want to speak, go ahead and. Boy, it's not like something like at a, a wedding or something. If you want to speak now, for yeah, if you want to speak or add something or have a another idea of someone, in, go ahead and raise your hand, and we'll make you a speaker. Uh, just to remind you that you want to check out Nudge Printing. Nudge Printing has been a great sponsor of the show. Uh, Gabe and, and Brittany are great. Spartans. They help the Spartan Strong effort. I have a bunch of their shirts and I've got some hoodies. They're fantastic clothing, super high quality. You can wash it a million times. It still looks just like new. Uh, tailgate season's coming up before you know it in a couple weeks so, or a couple months. So you got four games in September, so you want to make sure you get your gear. So head on over to Nudge Printing at nudgeprinting.com. You can get a 20% off your order if you type in Final Four, just as one word, into coupon code at checkout. You can also get uh, our great shirts uh, for Final Fours on the schedule. You can find those at basically the easiest ways link through our, our website and just go to finalfoursontheschedule.com slash merchandise. And there you can either find the link to get the sweatshirt or the t-shirt. All the proceeds from those two items go directly to the show to help support the show as well. So 
Uh, I guess I'll open it up if anyone's interested. I don't see any hands yet, so if not, we can certainly just call it a night. But uh, I hope everyone had a fun time with this live discussion. It's something certainly new, and we'll try and figure out the technical aspects of recording. I think that's probably just uh, something simple that we just don't know how to do, but we <laughs> we'll get it figured out next time. Uh, does anyone want to jump in there at this point or have something to add? I think we've got all just listeners, Rod. So, which is no problem. So, uh, have a great evening, everyone. Enjoy your summer. Enjoy uh, Independence Day, although this will come out probably around then. So, if you if this is you're listening on the podcast, make sure you sign up again at Twitter at Tiffnots sixty eight, and you can then you can get notified of these Twitter Spaces and opportunities to. Uh, oh, we'll have one. Oh, that's just a thumbs up. Okay, so good. All right, so make sure you uh, sign up, guys. And uh, I guess until next time, the final score is not the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.